Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie, and this is Before the Box Score. Missouri put up a fight for 10 minutes. 10 whole minutes. Uh, they va- valiantly lose to Georgia. Uh, 43-6. The number one team in the world. On the road, they lose. Um, but, you know, it was, a, it was a spirited effort, and I'll give the coaching staff credit. They were putting out a lot of new stuff on the field, both from personnel and from schematic ways. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, it was, it was an interesting way to lose rather than the normal give up 500 yards in the ground and have the game be over by the first quarter. BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. Uh, better than I anticipated being after that uh, Georgia game. I, can we start on the defensive side of the ball and then we can sure. work our way to the offense? Because I felt like and I can't believe I'm saying this in the year 2021, but <laughs> I actually felt like the defense gave you reasons for optimism moving mm-hmm. forward. And that's really all this was about was, hey, can you show me something like show me a glimpse of something that will give me hope for South Carolina, Florida and Arkansas? And they did that against Georgia. They showed a new scheme ish or the new way to utilize their personnel, I guess I'll say. Mm-hmm. They went with like three defensive tackles on the field early on, and they continued doing so periodi- periodically throughout as well. It got a little more beef up front, and they went with, for the majority of the game, Chad Bailey and um, Blaze Aldrich at linebacker. And listen, did they shut down Georgia's rushing attack? No. They still finished with 170 yards on the ground, got two touchdowns. They did have a couple of longish runs, but their running backs didn't have anything over 20 yards. And they didn't just 
gash you from start to finish of the game. There were some negative plays that were created by Missouri's defensive line and the linebackers. I got to be honest, man. All things considered, I thought the run defense was pretty darn good in that one. Oh, absolutely. Now, they benefited from putting nine guys in the box and saying, well, Stetson Bennett, throw it. And he went, okay, and threw for 255 yards on 19 attempts. Um, but I'm okay with that. I, I, I am really too. am. It may, make him beat you. You, I, I, I am so sick of watching this team just get emasculated defensively. Where the oppo- opposition in Georgia should have been like the the face of this can line up in a base like big personnel package where they've got two tight ends and a fullback and a running back back there lined up in the eye. And they say, we are going to run it down your throat and there is nothing you can do about it. We saw that with Boston College and it was just humiliating to watch. Mm -hmm. At least you made them beat you in a way that is more difficult to accomplish. Stetson Bennett just made some really good throws in that game. So Mm -hmm. kudos to him. He was at there's no defense for the perfect pass. And he made probably three or four of them in that game that were like, wow, okay, yeah, good. Good for you. Kudos credit where it's due. I would much rather lose that way than the way that Missouri has been losing for much of this season. Absolutely. It's, it's tough to have a good passing game. Uh, and Missouri secondary is, is the strength of the defense. It still is whatever you saw yesterday. I mean, we went into this game saying, don't, don't have any big takeaways on what happens here. And I stand by that. The things that we're talking about is just a, a wrinkle in the scheme. And, Especially against Georgia, if you can shut down, you know, or, or force Georgia to not go to the ground game, that's something that no Missouri opponent has done all season. They have just stuck with the ground game and it's worked and it's worked and it's worked and there's nothing Missouri can do. So this was refreshing. This was a new way to lose. I really liked it. Um, I also liked Akil Byers being on the outside. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's been the defensive tackle for all of this season. He is a bit of a tweener. He started out as a defensive end when he first came on campus, moved inside once he bulked up over the years. I just think I think he's a better end, and you saw some of that um, in the Georgia game. I mean, they didn't get any sacks or anything like that, but they were generating a lot of pressure on Stetson Bennett's dropbacks, and it's something that, again, we haven't seen a whole lot of this year. And again, we're not extrapolating everything we see. It's like, oh, well, this is how it's going to be going forward. But it was really nice to see just a little bit of, all right, let's try this. And they saw some success. And I don't know if that's the answer going forward. I don't, I certainly don't think it's the answer as we go into the next year or anything like that. But the fact that they could do something a little bit different, show them a different, different front and, and create some pressure and not make it easy on them, man, for the number one team in the country, like that, that's, that's a win, man. It, absolutely. And it, in the end, they got 43 points, and so maybe there's some people that are listening to this and they're kind of shaking their head like, what do you mean it's a win? They scored 43. Yeah, but they did so in a different way. <laughs> and it was aesthetically a little easier on my eyes to be able to watch it that way. And like you said, they made some tangible changes. They put Stacy Brown in for quite a bit, uh, quite a bit of playing time. I saw the snap counts earlier today. I would have assumed he was in there for the vast majority of the snaps. It ended up he only played 16 snaps, but he was that extra guy that was in the box against the run quite often on kind of standard down, so to speak. 
and I really liked the way that they utilized him. They basically put an extra safety into the box, and Stacey Brown was the guy that did that quite often in that game. That's the kind of thing that you can do against teams that are known to run the football. So if you go up later on this year, for example, against other opponents that either have a running mobile quarterback or that have a dynamic running game that you want to slow down and you can't do it by just putting your typical six in the box, this is a way that you could maybe go about it in the future. You finally found something. It wasn't the the silly 3-3-5 stack defense that they <laughs> ran where they put a defensive end at middle linebacker and just ran him into the line of scrimmage every play. That was ridiculous. This had a little more lasting power. Might not work for the entire season, but for four games, you might be able to get away with this. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing, one of my criticisms, and I don't think there was an actual answer, but, you know, it just seemed like Wilkes and the defensive staff had 16 guys that they really wanted to play, and, and that was basically it. And we actually saw a little bit more rotation, uh, not not substantial. We're not talking halvesies on, you know, in every position. But, you know, after not seeing the field last week, Allie Green the fourth was out there for 35 snaps. Um, Jatorian Hansford got in there for 31. And we played had, pretty well. He played fine, yeah. You know, Chris Sheeran was in there. Stacey Brown was in there. DJ Jackson got 14 snaps. Arden Walker, the young defensive end out of Colorado, he got 12 snaps. We saw Chuck Hicks, the Wyoming transfer. He got on the field for his first uh, play as Missouri Tiger for 2021. So they were they were willing to expand a little bit. I know there were some injuries in there, but they they expanded the rotation just a little bit, not a lot. Uh, they messed with the scheme just a little bit, not a lot, uh, but they were willing to do some stuff that was different. And you know, for as good as Georgia was. This is the number one team in the country at home. Like, yeah, there might be some sleepwalking <laughs> when you first play a team like Missouri, who is very bad. And you go, oh, these guys came to play today. All right, let's turn it on. And they flip the switch. They turn it on. And they shut it down. OK, but still, they were able to catch them flat footed for a little bit anyway. Um, and I, I appreciate that. Like you said, this is when, when Missouri plays defense, it's just the same story over and over and over. And this was unique and different. and. Sometimes when you're in a bad season, when you're in your tough season, the team's not that great. Sometimes just something new, something refreshing, a different, a different approach is, is enough to get you going. And, um, uh, I thought, I thought a lot of guys played admirably considering, uh, how outgunned they were. I, I would also add this. We're looking for building blocks. That that's one of the things that you're trying to find right now. Uh, Jalen Carlisle is a building block. We've mentioned it before. He has his deficiencies, but overall, He's a building block. He's a guy that you can build around on the defensive side of the ball. Chad Bailey has emerged as the linebacker that is on the roster this year that should see the field again next year. Like You probably can only have one of those, and he's the one for me that you're going to want to see out there next year. Uh, Martez Manuel, I think, is a building block for what they're trying to do defensively. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no doubt about it. Trajan Jeffcoat is a building block. Darius Robinson Darius was Robinson, back yeah. this week, and you could tell that he made a noticeable difference. So... You're starting to find these guys. Chris Abrams drain another one that he needs to work on not getting beat as often by the double move. But <laughs> when he's able to play aggressively, he's pretty darn good. Makai Wingo has made quite a few plays this year. They're starting to stack more players onto that list of guys that I would feel comfortable seeing the field regularly in 2022. And that's really what this season is about. Find who the guys are that can help you in 2022 and 2023. 
because that's when you could maybe do a little more winning. And that was always probably going to be the case, but it certainly became the case after you lost those, the swing games against Kentucky, Boston College, and what we thought at the time was a swing game against Tennessee. Once mm -hmm. that happened, it really did become about 22 and 23, and they're starting to find more of that out, which I can appreciate it. Yeah, and get the youth out. We've, I've, I've been talking about it, you've been talking about it this entire season. So it is. I am glad that we are seeing it. I don't think it means that the coaches finally realize that this is a lost cause. I certainly don't think that at all, especially after how we saw the SEC play this this past weekend. I mm -hmm. think there is there is an opening. There's an opportunity for this team to make a bowl game. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But this playing the youth and like figuring out that the young guys are giving you a chance. That's not some open admittance of defeat. It's just, look, we got to win games now. Yes. But we also have to win games in the future. And we're going to get, we're going to continue to get talented guys coming in. This is this, the the big thing of the drink with staff is how they recruit, how they bring in talented athletes. Well, you need some, you need some older guys uh, to, to lead those younger guys and get on the field and have that experience. And this is what that is. So it's not pretty. You know, I think we said in the Wednesday show, you kind of have to squint to see the good stuff. Um, but when you you talked about the building blocks, you know, I talked about the spine last time, just up the middle, your your tackles, your inside linebacker, and your safeties. You've got core pieces here. We're figuring out the corner rotation. End is going to be a better story to read next year once the the youth starts getting acclimated and Kai Montgomery comes back from injury. Like you can see, you could talk yourself into this defense finding a shape, finding a rhythm. Whether Wilkes is calling those plays and forming that defense, I don't know. But um, you know, at least for one week, uh, uniqueness, uh, ferocity, and I think the best thing you could say is that this team didn't quit yesterday when it was very yeah. easy for them to just roll over and die. Yeah, and I appreciate that. They, there was clearly effort from start to finish of that game, and they came out with a lot of emotion as well. I thought the first quarter was legitimately fun to watch. Like, I mm -hmm. didn't expect to be able to say that, but for the first quarter, I, I sat to myself and I was like, can they, can they make this interesting? Obviously, I knew <laughs> at that moment in time they weren't going to win. Sure. That was never in play. But there was about... 10 minutes of real time like throughout the course of the game where I wondered quietly to myself at home <laughs> as I was watching is this going to be interesting and am I going to have to wait to write about this <laughs> and that was not something I was prepared to do I mm -hmm. thought for sure I would have my recap done by halftime and I mm -hmm. wasn't able to because uh, the first half was legitimately interesting so uh, kudos to Missouri for being able to do that Georgia is not your typical team Right now, college football is Georgia number one, everybody else after that. Yeah. And we we saw why on Saturday. Uh, Mizzou went from being favored by, I think, double digits against Vanderbilt to being a 39 and a half point underdog against Georgia. And uh, last I saw, once again, favored next Saturday against South Carolina. So Insanity. thus is life in the SEC when you have to go up <laughs> against the clear cut number one team in the country which is also why the expectations should have been low for everybody mm. when mm. it came to the quarterbacks. Do that I smell Missouri a transition? Oh my goodness. That was Saturday. excellent. Excellent transition. Unfortunately, Nate, based on some of the reaction that I have seen, I'm not sure people remember who Missouri played yesterday because <laughs> it's not Georgia's offense that makes them special. Their offense no. is fine. 
Their running game is quite good. Their offense is fine. Their defense is special, historically so. And if you look at what they've done defensively this year, uh, they came into this game ranking first in all of college football in yards allowed per pass attempt, which was five, and they had allowed a total of three touchdowns through the air on the season. Opposing quarterbacks had the second lowest quarterback ranking uh, rating rather against Georgia uh, compared to any other team in the country, not just this conference, in the country. This is legitimately one of the better pass defenses that we will see. Mm-hmm. Not just this year, but maybe for a generation. It's it's really that good. Mm-hmm. So yesterday, Saturday, when Missouri had Tyler Macon, a true freshman quarterback who still has a ton to learn, and we know by the head coach's own admission, he probably could use a little bit more time in the playbook, a little bit more seasoning before he's ready to go. And Brady Cook, who is limited, but accurate, and makes quick decisions. When you have those guys as your quarterbacks against that defense, yeah, of course it's going to be a struggle. And anybody who was surprised by that, I just, I don't know what you were expecting yesterday. Mm-hmm. The, I, I, I forget where I said it, but basically Georgia at, at his current rating, as far as SP plus goes, is a top 20 defense of all time. Like in the history of college football, it is a top 20 defense. That that's insanity. The thing about Georgia is that they know your routes. They know your blocking schemes. They know everything that you want to do. They knew everything that you want to do to counter what you try to do to make them do that. And then on top of all that, if they don't know what you do, they figure it out in about a play or a drive, drive and a half. And that's why when you saw Tyler Macon go out there and he busts what, 20 yards on a draw? And you're like, oh, hey, here we go. Guess what? Every other time they tried to do that, it was snuffed out. They knew exactly what it looked like. They knew it was going to come. There's just nothing you can do against this defense. And I don't care if you're freshman, you know, Michael Vick or freshman Trevor Lawrence, like you are going to look stupid against this defense flat out. And so you know, we hesitated to to have like, hey, if Connor Bay's likes healthy, throw him out there because you don't want to break these young quarterbacks on the walls of the most magnificent defense we've ever seen of our lifetimes. Um, but I will say this. While the offense certainly didn't hum, it was not clicking at all. It's terrible offensive performance. You'll read more about it in, in Beyond the Box score this week. That's not the point. The point was to get them out there and get them some game experience and show them, hey, look, this is what uh, this is what the best defense of all time looks like. Uh, how do you how do you react? And yeah, not only did Drinkwood say out loud that Tyler Macon needs more time with the playbook, did you <laughs> you saw him get chewed out for handing off the wrong direction, uh, which led to uh, that led to a negative play and you know obviously stalled out the drive. So like we all know now that this is why Tyler Macon is not starting at least from a operational knowledge standpoint. However, you did see the athleticism that we all knew that he had and the ability to make plays that we all thought he could do. You saw that on full display and that was against Georgia. So regardless of his playbook acumen um, or, or what you saw on the field, the fact that he looked like an average quarterback going against Georgia I think that says a lot. 
And I've been legitimately surprised by how many people were disappointed by Tyler Macon's performance. Again, I will just ask, what did you expect? Did you expect a super accurate passer who was going to go out there and be slinging things around like vintage Peyton Manning? Because if you did, boy, do I have something to tell you, because that's not who Tyler Macon has ever been. And his, his game is that he's got a rifle of an arm, he is very mobile, and he is the anti-Connor Basilek. Like, he is going to complete maybe 50% of his passes, mm -hmm. and it's going to be for a high yards per attempt, hopefully, because there's going to be some big plays in there. And the belief will be that by using him as a running quarterback, the opposing defense has to account for him in the running game, which means you change the numbers. You have just made the formula for the defense that much more difficult because they have to account for another runner in the backfield. And that opens up a whole lot of things offensively for you, just like we saw, especially in the first half of that game early on. Macon being able to be utilized, especially in the zone reads, and him being a legitimate threat to pull the ball, it resulted in some big plays for Mizzou, mm -hmm. including on third down, I think twice in the first three drives, if I'm not mistaken, he picked up a first down with his legs. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing that I was hoping he would be able to do. And he went out there and showed proof of, proof of concept. That's what it should look like. Now, there are some things he needs to work on. When he's rolling to his right, he has zero accuracy. Zero. Like, he doesn't know where the ball is going. He should have had, for sure, a touchdown, maybe two in this game, the one at the very end when he was throwing to Daniel Parker Jr., Parker was wide open. You just mm -hmm. got to make the throw. And he couldn't do it. And so, yes, that is something that as a coach, and this is why I think that what we saw on Saturday is important and why I would continue giving Macon playing time. Okay, now I know we need to work on that. That is something that when we get into a game environment, he freaks out, his mechanics go awry, and he does not have any accuracy. Cool, let's coach that. Another thing that he needs to do, when he sees a big play that is available to him, got to hit it, got to hit it, and got to hit it now. He had J.J. Hester open deep down the middle, I believe it was, and then he had another play where he had um, Dominic Lovett available as well. Missed both of them. Got to hit those, man. And that's another thing. You can teach on that now. Tyler Macon has now seen that on film. You can reshow it to him and say, hey, here's exactly what we want you to do. Here's why we missed it on that one and what we can do in the future to make sure that doesn't happen again. Those are all very important things for a coach and very important things for a player to get real live reps to be able to correct it. There's where I'm at on Macon. I want to hear your thoughts on him first, and then we can get to Brady Cook. I just feel like the biggest thing for me was the threat of a, of a running quarterback. And you saw it with Cook too. Like both of mm -hmm. them were willing to run which is insane to me. It just really screams to me how much Connor Bays like hates running, like abhors it. And, and, and he won't do it. And I don't know if it's a injury thing. I don't know if it's just, that's not part of his game, but like the, the yards on the ground for a quarterback are there because these defenses don't respect Connor Bays, specifically Missouri quarterbacks in general to, to take it upfield. He hasn't seen that on, on tape for two years now. So, yeah, Tyler Macon drops back. He's like, well, all my dudes are covered. Uh, Just going to run it. And he could. 
and I liked his, I liked his decision-making in the running game. I think you hit it with the passing. Like, Hey, he either didn't see it or didn't trust it. Um, which is another thing that you need to develop. But we talk about athleticism. We talk about just like kind of an intangible dynamic impact on the offense. It just, I, I understand, you know, you want to get both cook and making out there. I'm not sure I agree with the timing of it. Yeah. It was very clearly pre-scripted and okay, that's fine. But it just seemed like, and this is me talking myself into something stupid without actually any facts here. It just felt like the offense was grooving more with Macon. And I think a large part of that was that the defense had to respect the fact that he could just tuck it and go. And he had the ability to do it and he had the willingness to do it. And he was a bit of a threat. And just what, what a world of difference that made (laughs) to the offense when you had just even the hint of a threat. So either Bays like needs to be get the wheels fixed or we got to put someone in there who can who will actually do it. Um, and to me, that seems like Tyler Macon's an obvious choice. Maybe Sam Horn can do the same. But like to me, it just solidified that, yes, Bazelak, uh operates in this offense better than Cook or Macon do at this point. But I don't think he's going to get much better. And I do think Macon specifically will get a lot better with those live reps and, and just time. So that that's where I stand on him. Yeah. I, I was, my expectations were pretty low for Macon going into that game. And because he showed a few big plays, I was impressed. So I, I've seen a lot of the opposite reaction to his game where people are like, Oh, he's just not good. I don't agree with that assessment at all. Maybe he won't be, maybe he fails and he's going to end up being a group of five quarterback who is a pure runner somewhere else. That's totally possible. Totally possible. I just don't know how you could possibly have that takeaway from 13 pass attempts against the best team in the country um, when he also showed you things that he was able to do on the ground. That That's where I'm at with him. Mm-hmm. Brady Cook. <laughs> I think Brady Cook might be the best version in terms of the way that he utilizes his skill set. He might be the best version of Connor Bazelak. And what I mean by that is not necessarily that he is more talented than Connor Bazelak, but if Connor Bazelak played the way that Cook did on Saturday, I think that's the way for Bazelak to get the most out of his ability. Because Cook was willing to run. He wasn't great at it, but he was willing. And if you can just get that out of Bazelak, I think you'll have a much better player, but I don't know that you're going to be able to get that out of him. So if he's unwilling to do so, I know there are some who say that it's obvious. You just go back to Connor Bazelak if he's healthy next week. Oh, don't agree with that. I might be willing to just run it back with these guys. Even if Bazelak is healthy. Because Bazelak might be your best quarterback right now. I don't know that there's any scenario in which Missouri is good next year and Bazelak is their starting quarterback. Does that make sense? I agree. Yeah. Like, I don't know how that happens unless he just takes a leap forward in terms of the way that he plays. And it's hard to project that right now because he looks like the same guy, if not a little worse than he did a year ago. Meanwhile, with Cook or Macon, I could see how that happens. 
I could see it with Horn as well, but he's obviously not an option right now because he's still in high school. So with Cook and Macon, I think I would like to see them get the reps again next week against South Carolina, just because they showed me enough against a team that I, again, it's historically great. I don't know if Cook's going to be good or not, but he showed you enough to deserve more reps, in my opinion. So here's where we get the conversation of winning football games now versus winning football games in the future. Yeah. Because South Carolina at this point is your last realistic chance at a win. Ooh, I don't know if I agree with that. Now, I'm I, of course I am speaking in SP plus terms. Okay. Obviously, Florida, uh, it's got some warts and <laughs> Arkansas is uh, kind of coming back to earth, still very dangerous, but they do the one thing that you don't want an offense to do, which is run the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but South Carolina from a probability standpoint, is probably your best. And you have them, you know, right after they came off of a huge win. Do you, and this is, this is probably going to be the question that Drinkwitz and his staff are going to be wrestling all week. Or until Thursday, which is if Connor Bay's like is healthy, do you roll him out? Because we think we can get this win. I Before I am you with answer you. That, can I ask you a quick question? Yes, let me hear it. Do you know how many turnovers Missouri had against Georgia? Uh zero. Did you like that? Because <laughs> I did. <laughs> did. Did I like the zero turnovers? <laughs> yes, I did. Um no, point taken. Point taken. Does the staff see it that way? Probably not. I don't think so. And so, you know, assuming he is, he is fine. If he's clear to go, there is a chance that he's not for me. Again, I don't care much about this season. If I'm the drink with staff, especially the offensive guys, what are they going to fire you? Hell no. Or, you know, like what are they going to do? Like there's no, to me, I don't see any risk with their employment. So why not burn a season? I don't, you know, maybe you win, maybe you don't, but put Cook and Megan back out there. I really think that's the answer. Because if it's not, and Bay's like a healthy, that is roll them out in the in the second half. If you really want to win the game and the freshmen aren't getting it done, <clears throat> then bring in Bayslack. I think I think that's totally fine. But at the same time, I just feel like we saw what Cook and Macon could do against literally the best of the best of the best of the best. <clears throat> we saw that. Now, what do they do when the defense isn't as good? I don't know. I like to see. And, and maybe you can get a better gauge of just what it is exactly that they can do for you, what their strengths are, what, you know, can they make these plays against a little bit of a more mortal defense? I, I, I want to see that. And I'm concerned that we're not because this coaching staff is obsessed with winning games in the now. So I don't, I, to me, I don't think they're going to make our decision, but if it were up to me, I would once again, start making rotate in cook and see what they can do against South Carolina. Cause I think you're going to see a lot more success than what you saw on Saturday. That's for damn sure. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from is I think what you would expect, like Brady Cook had 78 passing yards in that game against Georgia. If he played the exact same way against South Carolina as he did against Georgia, he would have had like 150, something like that. I mean, it's it's that much of a difference. Tyler Macon, if he made a couple of the passes that he made against Georgia against South Carolina, he finished six for 13 for 74 yards. He might have finished 
eight for 13 for a buck 25. Like it's just a Mm -hmm. huge difference in terms of the scale of what you're expecting from them against a a lower quality of opponent. I think I would go with both of them. I do not expect Missouri to do that if Basilek is healthy. That being said, if I had to project, I don't think Basilek's going to play. I think they knew early last week that Basilek wasn't going to play in this game, and they played they coy. Other, otherwise, why would they have had practice closed? Like, let's be honest. That was the first giveaway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they didn't allow media to watch any of the open portions of practice, and they did that because they didn't want them to see that Basilek was going to be out on Saturday, and they knew that early in the week. And so I, I would say part of what can go into this as a fan, if you want to kind of read between the lines, they should announce at some point earlier this week whether or not media is going to be allowed in this week. My guess is they probably won't be. And that will be at least your first sign that Connor Basilek's not playing on Saturday. So I don't think he's going to. I do wonder, in this game, do you think they start Tyler Macon? Or do you think they start Brady Cook? Well, going against Georgia, I thought they were going to start Cook. And I still think that's probably my answer now. Especially if Macon still doesn't know which direction the, the run's supposed to go. Uh, but I, I don't know. They they started with him last week. So I got a 50-50 shot of getting this right, BK. I'm going to say, I want to say Cook gets the start. Making comes in to, you know, kind of mix it up. But if, if it were completely up to me, I just, I just go with making, I would, and then have cooking, you know, if, and Bay's like, if he's happy, healthy, but like, let's see what the young guy can do. He's got, he's got the best threat on the ground and he's got the, you know, the variance of the passing game because he's willing to take deep shots and can hit him. So I would start with making, but my guess again would be cook. What do you think? I'm with you. I, I think that's probably the route that they will go. I think it was pretty telling just how often they were willing to throw with Cook in the game and how rare yeah. it was that they were willing to throw yeah. with Macon in the game. I think they'd be like Macon at right now as a running quarterback, a guy that's going to go out there and he could throw a few passes, but it's mostly very elementary concepts in terms of what they're doing in the passing game. Uh, but the majority of the time, he's going to be running RPOs and he's going to be running the read option. And it's going to be, hey, I'm giving it to Tyler Beatty on this zone or I'm going to be running out off of tackle. That's fine. It works. It clearly was effective for a decent portion of the first quarter uh, and then at times as well after that. But I do wish there was a little bit more there. And so that is something that I think is worth at least mentioning is he's not all the way there yet. So imagine what this looks like when he does have a better grasp on the playbook. And I don't know when that's going to happen. Maybe it doesn't, but I'm, I'm here to learn whether or not it can. (laughs) I want to know what more there is in there because he seems, he seems to clearly not be a fully formed player yet. Whereas Connor Bazelak is, and I think Brady cook is closer to being that for for better or for worse i haven't decided which one it is but subbing in cook for Bayslack really does nothing it, like you you're still running the same plays basically um mm-hmm. he has he seemingly has the same grasp on the playbook he has the same mo well he's more willing to run but he's not you know he's not blazing speed so there's not really a whole lot that you have to change if cook is in versus Bay's like, now I'm saying this as a guy who's just watching the team on the TV. I don't see the practice. I don't know what 
bugaboos Drinkwitz has about Cook's game, but like it just from from the layman, it seems like you you're just running the same offense. And there's really no extra threat there other than maybe he tucks it and runs twice as much as Basilek does. So it's that's good for the offensive line, that's good for the receivers, blah blah blah, all that good stuff. With Macon, you have a new possibility. Like you said, the RPOs, there's more keeps, more design runs, but like that's something that we haven't really done all season. So who knows like how to, how the line reacts to it, you know, I, I, with with South Carolina, no, well let me back up. With Georgia, they didn't have any tape on Macon or Cook, so it took them a couple of drives to figure out. Okay, that's what you like to do. We take it away. With South Carolina, now they got all week to kind of look at the Georgia film and go, okay, so this is what they did with him in there. This is what they did with Cook in there. Okay, okay. And like, you know, these are professional defensive coordinators. They're going to figure it out. These are not professional players, so the execution is the question. Um, I think you can use making as kind of a as a, as a change-up, basically. Or, you know, you get in the red zone. Things are a little bit tighter. You know you're going to be running it or getting in position for thicker to make the kick. Um, and so you, you, you switch to something like, like a making to kind of just maybe try and get a few more yards or sneak it into the end zone. So I think cook is your guy. He, he's the, he's the basically, like we said, the same strengths as Bazelak, just a little bit better wheels and then making the change up. So that was, that's what I would do. But again, I also thought cook was going to start against Georgia. So, you know, what do I know? Yeah. Um, it, it, it feels like, um, it feels like that's the route they're probably going to go. And I like the fact that you mentioned that this could be a changeup where they, they kind of use Tyler Macon, depending on the game situation, running downs. He's going to be great. You got third and short third and three. You need to pick it up. He's just going to make Tyler Beatty that much more dynamic as well. And I think that's mm-hmm. the other part of it is um, sometimes when you make a personnel change, you can get better at two positions mm-hmm. by changing out who's playing at one. And I think that's one thing is you get the best version of Tyler Beatty potentially by putting Tyler Macon into the game. You can you didn't get to see that against Georgia because they ran Tyler Beatty nine times, which would, by the way, smart job, smart, good, good work. Loved everybody it. involved, Bravo. making sure that he didn't play. God only knows how many steps when it wasn't going to matter. Save those for the important games down the stretch. Mm-hmm. But I do think you potentially could get an even better version of Beatty. And that's kind of scary considering the version that we've got has been borderline all American this year. Yeah. It's going to be a really interesting game, man. Um, you know, South Carolina for all of their wins, which I had to keep looking at. They've won five games. That's insane to me. Um, for, for all of South Carolina's wins, most of them have been very, very close down to the wire wins. They're very drink witsy and in their close. I was about to say winning. they're Missouri. Yeah. Like this is not that great of a team. They've just been sneaking wins when they shouldn't have. Um, and again, some pretty poor competition as well, but that South Carolina offense is, has basically been the Missouri defense all year. I, I, I think they've been calling for their OCs head like since game two and they magically put up 40 points on Florida last week. So you're, 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 you're facing a team that kind of had their, their big, their LSU victory, if you will. Uh, a victory against a, a program that you should never be favored against, but is on the de- on the decline, and you got your win, and woo! Oh my God, yes, it's all coming together. And now you got to go west <laughs> to Missouri. It's got something to prove, um, and you're coming off a, a massive high here. Like there, it's going to be really interesting to see how a very young South Carolina team reacts. But also keep in mind they have Kevin Harris on their team, and he's a 
dynamic running back. And well, we know how those do against Missouri. So going to be a very curious game this week. It is worth pointing out uh, about 20 minutes before we hit record. Uh, Dan Mullen and the fighting Florida Gators, they decided to fire some people after their loss to South Carolina yesterday. Um, of course, the defense coordinator, Todd Grantham, uh, he is out as well as their co-offensive coordinator and their offensive line coach, uh, John Hevesy. Grantham, it sucks just flat out. He can't recruit and he's terrible at calling defensive plays. So he, he was a long, he was around way too long. It's overdue for him to be fired. It is interesting that Mullen fires Hevesy who's been his offensive coordinator since Mississippi state for over 10 years and has been a, a, some level of a assistant coach to some certain degree of Mullins since their days back in Bowling Green with urban Meyer. So this was not like, Oh, we're just going to cut some scrub assistant. Like he, he cut a, a, what I'm assuming is a really good friend. So, you know, things are bad at Florida when, when you're doing that. Um, you tend to eject the, uh, you know, the escape pods, uh, by firing assistant coaches to buy yourself a year. I'm not sure he's going to buy himself the rest of this rest of this year, let alone next year, uh, by making a move like this. Cause Florida, Florida sucks, dude. Yeah, they're not good and they've got big issues and they quit this week. And that was the thing that was most surprising to me. They wanted nothing to do with playing South Carolina. It's not like we're talking about, you know, Alabama or even Tennessee. We're talking about South Carolina, who has, like I said, basically been Missouri this year. I mean, listen to this and and tell me if this sounds familiar to you as a Missouri fan. Blown out by Georgia on the road. Lost a one-score game against Kentucky. A way too close game against a group of five team. Theirs was Troy, where they ended up winning by nine. Got blown out by Tennessee. Won a game that was closer than you would have liked against Vanderbilt. And got absolutely destroyed by Texas A&M. Okay, yeah, that's pretty similar. The only difference is their close non-con game that they wanted to be a little bit more in their direction was against East Carolina, and Missouri's was it went in the other direction, and it was on the road at Boston College, which probably would have been the case for the comparable team in a non-con game for South Carolina as well. These teams are eerily similar, man. Very similar. And that is the caliber of team that didn't just beat Florida. They kicked their ass. Mm -hmm. So why is Florida making changes right now? That's why. And also (laughs) they're the 35th ranked recruiting class in the country right now. And their coach made a public comment last week about how, oh yeah, we'll do the recruiting stuff in the off season. No, man, that stuff goes year round. (laughs) There is no off season for recruiting. You got to be doing that now. Eli Drinkwitz is out here sending out photos every Thursday and Friday night of him eating a hot dog and uh, nachos while he's at a high school game. Yeah. You can't be out here saying I'm going to go visit kids after the season's over. That's not how any of this works. (laughs) God, I miss, I made a comment maybe three weeks ago that Eli Drinkwitz loves nachos because I love nachos and I appreciate any man that does. And then he promptly stopped getting nachos at, high school games. And now I'm like, I don't know, man. I hope I didn't scare you away from the nachos. Cause like chips and cheese at a nasty high school food stand. Like, heck yeah. That just has the spot. But yeah, I don't know, man. Like kind of feels like Dan Mullen could 
thought he could just roll into Gainesville and pull a Mississippi State at Florida, and that 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 doesn't work. You gotta Florida's pretty, and Dan, Dan Mullen has always just got a chip on his shoulder. He needs to be told he's pretty constantly, and Florida's like, we know we're pretty. You don't need to tell us anything, and he just he doesn't get it. <sighs> also, the next time he he has a post game press conference after a loss and says something like totally bland would be the first time. Huh. So I don't know what that means for Florida coming, uh, going forward. Cause two weeks from now, well, two Saturdays from now, they're coming to, they're coming to Missouri. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be, uh, I don't know who's going to be coaching Florida at that point, but that's going to be, it'll be Mullen. If he didn't get, if he didn't get fired at this point, he's not getting fired because next week they play Samford, I believe. Now, now, if they lose that game. I was going to say, you lose Samford. <laughs> yeah, uh, th- th- then he will for sure be fired. But they're not going <laughs> to lose that game. No. Um, and so he- he'll be the coach when they get to Missouri. Will he be the coach when they leave Missouri is a very, very different question. Do you think it's fair to set the over-under for Missouri wins down the stretch at one and a half? Is that where you would set it? One and a half. Ooh, the last three games. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I, you, you have to. Ugh. You don't have to assume anything. I understand that. You got to think they're going to get one. Again, South Carolina, Florida, and Arkansas. Yes. Can they get two? Yes. Will they? TBD. Ask me after this week. We'll figure it out. Um, If they beat South Carolina, I think I would pick them to win two. But if you're asking me right now, what would I take over under one and a half? Yeah. I would probably take the under just because that seems more likely than the over. Yeah. I think one one is more likely than two, and I don't yes. think three is possible. God, if they win three in a row to close out this season, what the heck? I don't think that's possible, but wow, what a... That would be wild, man. I don't hey, I got a quick question for you yeah. before we get out of here. How much of this season changes if they just lose to Tennessee by 10? Everything else stays the same, but you lose to Tennessee by 10. Um, yeah, you lose that game 42-32. I don't really hear people talking about Tennessee all that much, though. So I don't know. But I think that's the one that influences everything else. It got Jethro it could, Franklin fired. I know that. Mm-hmm. And your defense just got shredded. It was the worst home loss that you've had, like, ever. And it it it, it sapped all optimism for the rest of the season. Because at least Kentucky, you were in that game. Boston mm-hmm. College, it was a brutal loss on the road, and there was the interception and all that. Yeah, North Texas was ugly, but you won. Texas A&M pretty much went the way everybody expected it to. Same thing for Georgia. You did beat Vandy. I know it wasn't pretty, but you won the game. I wonder how much changes in terms of the way that people view this season if they just don't get blown out against Tennessee and they looked competitive. That's a good question. I mean, then again, Tennessee is just light years better than they should be. Mm-hmm. Like Josh Heupel, is he coach of the year? SEC coach of the year? I'd say so. Unless you give it to Kirby because of, you know, wins the SEC. Yeah, because they're the really good. Um, maybe I, I think you could make a case for Lane. Eh. But look, okay, so Lane is in his second year. Josh Heupel took over a roster that lost like 
40% of its dudes to the transfer portal. They had to bring in so many new guys and like all, all their good players gone. Just yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think he should probably win it. I hadn't really given a whole lot of thought to it, but after giving it further consideration, I think so. They were picked fifth or sixth in the East, and they're going to finish like second. Yeah. So second to you know one of the greatest teams ever constructed. So yeah, I if it were, I'm not a voting member of you know whoever gets this award, but like if it weren't me, I'd, I'd give it to Heupel. That's incredible. Um. That that offense, his offensive system is just an equalizer, man. Like it's, I don't, I don't know how he does it, but uh, they're they're very good. So like I think, to your point, I think we gotta we gotta recalibrate how we view Tennessee. I think now everyone's kind of going, oh, oh, actually kind of good. <laughs> but going into that game, yeah, I was like, oh, what? We should win this, and they're blowing our doors off. Like yeah, I'd, if that's closer. Or we knew what Tennessee was going to be coming in. I think that would make a difference because you wouldn't fire a coach and yeah, suck all the life out of it. But here we are, hated onto Luther Burden. Yeah. Hey, I'm good with it. I'll take it. It's a win. A win is a win is a win. That's that's the one I that's the one I'm concerned about. We beat Georgia head to head for a recruit, a five star recruit. So take I'll that. take it. Uh, that's all I got. What do you? Anything else before we get out of here? I think that's it, man. I I will say this. I know I've been a little pessimistic the last few weeks now when it comes to just the meaning of the games that Missouri is playing. There's a reason for that. Like They they really didn't matter. Um, It was all about just finding out what the final score was going to be. We all knew what the results was going to be against North Texas. They won it. We all knew what the results was going to be against Texas A&M. Loss. Mm -hmm. Vanderbilt. Win. Georgia. Loss. That quadrant of Missouri's schedule was predetermined before they ever actually played the games. Yeah. This next three is not that way. This is more like what we saw at the beginning of the schedule where you did have the Kentucky, Boston College, Tennessee uh, three game out of four weeks setting. Mm-hmm. That's what this feels like. So this is going to be a lot of fun. And the the games feel more winnable than they did at one point in the schedule. I mean, South Carolina has always felt that way, but Florida and Arkansas at the beginning of the year felt like it was going to be a gauntlet. Now, I think you at least have a chance in one, if not both of those games. So this is going to be a lot of fun down the stretch. And I'm excited to be able to talk about them on on Wednesday night as we're recording. People will be Mm -hmm. able to hear that on Thursday because there's a lot to preview. There is. It's another... It's another fork in the road. And I know there's only three games left, but this can really change the narrative about the season. Uh, kind of change the way people feel about the program, at least for a little bit. So given what's happening to Missouri's opponents as we go down the stretch, and especially these last three, very interesting moment. But uh, we will talk about that on Wednesday because that's the show for today. Uh, as always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us because we love all types of feedback from you guys. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rock M flagship at Rock M Nation. And you can listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, MIZ. Z-O-U.